This is Joanna Freiling, and today we are in Titus 2. It would be helpful to have your Bible and devices open as we go through this passage. But first, let's start by reading it. This is Titus 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Our son Brent and his wife Jody lived in Afghanistan 17 years ago. Brent was developing tuberculosis clinics as an outreach to local communities, and Jody taught English to university students. Often, Jody was able to share their story with local women she met in the park. At that time, after 12 years of marriage, they hadn't had any children. The question would often come up, why hasn't Brent taken a second wife or divorced you? That's what would happen in our culture. But it gave Jody a wonderful opportunity to talk about why that hadn't happened. The gospel story of God's love was easier to share. It had made a difference in how they lived and loved. Their life was impacted by what they believed not just because they were Westerners. Paul is charging Titus with how he should teach all the believers in Crete, not just the leaders. As Lisa mentioned last week, the believers in Crete were from a pagan culture, along with some Jewish influences. Among these new believers were false teachers, trying to influence them by adding to some of the old Jewish traditions of circumcision, 
and strict law-keeping. Instead, Paul tells Titus to teach only what is sound or true gospel doctrine, a gospel that brings wholeness and health, unlike the false teachers in 116, whose teaching was based on myths and human rules and brought dissension and disagreement to families and churches. Paul says, These teachers claim to know God, but how they live, their very character, is a denial of who God is and his nature. Paul wants the believers in Crete to demonstrate the truth and power of the gospel by their behavior, by their character. The way we act in our ordinary, everyday lives, in our Christian communities, in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our churches, matters. Paul addresses five groups of people. Older men and women, younger women and men, and servants. As we look through these verses 2 through 10, we see that many of the traits are similar for each group. One that is common to all is self-control, perhaps one of the most difficult to develop. At least, it is for me. Self-control is being able to manage our desires and emotions, to be disciplined in speech, in appetites, and in actions. That pretty much covers everything. Blakelock says self-control is a strength of mind which knows how to avoid foolishness as well as evil. No wonder God allows hard things to happen in his people's lives. We are by our very nature self-willed people in desperate need of transformation. Let's move on to the advice to older men and women in verses 2 and 3. I'm going to group these two categories together because the qualities are very similar. Also, the word likewise in verse 3 indicates this. What does it mean to be rooted in faith, in love, and in steadfastness? It is the encouragement, no matter our age or our position, to be growing in trust in God, in serving others, and in patient persistence. The qualities of being sober, dignified, and reverent don't mean having a long face all the time. Rather, together they convey the idea of living with the awareness that we, male and female, are created in the image of God, the very apex of God's creation, Daughters and sons of the king. What a high calling. Often, we feel our lives are so ordinary and insignificant. But how much these character qualities should encourage us with a glorious goal like that one. By the way, getting older doesn't necessarily make these things any easier. In fact, it sometimes is harder coming at a time in life when it is more comfortable to withdraw, to settle back, and do your own thing. 
Walt Liefeld comments that aging and dying are actually wonderful opportunities to apply our faith. And I can think of many who are real examples of this. Uh, Rosemary Miller, for one. My husband's parents, Bev Nisbet's mother-in-law, and others, including Ron and Sue, I think of them with their continuing service as they get older in the midst of Sue's battling um, her her, uh, condition. Older women are also called to be teachers of younger women by word and deed. We should be welcoming to younger women, engage them in conversation, be willing to share our lives, encourage them, and speak truth to them and their struggles. We need to be good listeners, not just advice givers. But I also want to encourage younger women to seek out older women who are marked by some of these character traits. Try to connect with them. Have coffee with them. Go for a walk with them. A friend of mine, who is actually a younger, older woman, told me that she doesn't feel like younger women want or appreciate her input. We are not always sure how welcome our interactions are. That's why I feel like this should be a two-way street. Personally, I have enjoyed learning from younger women. They have given me insights about their own generation and my generation. When I was uh, a little bit younger, I wished that I had some of them around when I was a young mom myself and could have used their examples. In our modern world, we may find this phrase of working at home in verse 5 to be old-fashioned. But it certainly means to care for the creation of a sense of home, of the well-being of the home. It doesn't confine women to the home. I think of the Proverbs 31 woman, who was an overseer of ordinary home living situations and had a broad sphere of influence in creating a well-functioning and supportive home setting for all of the family. Despite this importance that she had in the family, it would be wise not to be too proud and to respect and to honor her husband in the way she lived with him and spoke of him. Respect and honor are some of the ways that we can express love and encouragement to our husbands. It also is part of our privilege to model the church's relationship with Jesus Christ, her Savior, that Ephesians five twenty three through 24 talks about. Blake Locke says in his study guide that Christian homes are the best testimony a church can offer the community. Three times in this chapter, in verses 5, 8, and 10, we are reminded that we live before a watching world, and our behavior reflects on God and His Word, and should not give our surrounding culture an opportunity to look down or speak evil of God and His Word. Even our enemies should find nothing evil to say against our lives. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 says, Abstain from passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct honorable, 
so that when the world speaks evil against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. The next group of verses, 6 to 8, indicate to me that from the most respected, the model of Christian character, Titus, to the lowest in the culture, the bondservant, all were to model godly character in a way that impacts the culture. Paul's point is that what we believe about God our Savior should change our everyday behavior. Liefeld says the gospel will only be as attractive to the world as the behavior of those who express it. I found the last phrase in verse 10 to be a beautiful encouragement and challenge for all of us, not just slaves. This is a goal for all of us, whatever our position. Paul says that that the kinds of character qualities that he has taught and encouraged here will actually adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The word adorn means to arrange jewels to display their beauty. Stott says the gospel is a jewel, while a consistent Christian life is like the setting in which the gospel jewel is displayed. It adds luster to it. Our lives can either bring adornment or discredit to the gospel. As evil as the blot of slavery was in society, Paul indicates that that evil itself can be changed by the message of the gospel. And indeed, it was that way in the life of Philemon and Onesimus told in the book of Philemon, which follows Titus. Philemon was encouraged by Paul to accept back a runaway slave who, through the gospel, became related to Philemon as a brother. Onesimus, who returned willingly, is to be seen as part of a family, a brother. Eventually, Many believers came to see the evil of slavery and worked to eradicate it. This is still going on today with those who are working to eradicate sexual slavery. Both the motivations and the ability to live such lives of service and love come from the gospel. The story of God's saving, rescue, and redemption offered to all who hear and believe. Paul's own story provides a remarkable setting for us to see the beauty of the gospel and how it changes us. Paul viewed himself as the worst of sinners. Then he met Jesus and became a changed man. The vision of who, of how Jesus, Jesus changed the course of his life is the story that Acts 9 tells. You can read it there. Verses 11 through 14, Paul reminds us just what the gospel is. God's grace has appeared to any who would see, hear, and believe, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, rich or poor. Jesus, 
came into our world to live, walk, talk, and teach among people just like you and me. John 1.14 says, The Word made His home among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to take our sin and guilt on himself, to accept our punishment. In his death and resurrection, he broke the control that evil, selfishness, and sin had over us. This same grace that saves is the same grace that teaches us to say no, as the NIV says in verse 12. No to all that is wrong, and yes to what is right. We don't need an extra dose of grace or an additional kind of grace. The grace that saves and liberates us is the same grace that trains us, corrects, disciplines, and encourages. It trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions those desires and cravings that live within us and are so often influenced by the culture around us. Hebert says, we no longer need to serve ourselves. Liefeld says, this same saving grace that Jesus accomplished teaches us how to live in relation to ourselves, self-controlled, in relation to others, upright and just, and in relation to God, obedient to Him as His children. This is the way we are to live in this in-between time that is our life, in the already but not yet, as we in new life often say. But we're to do it with much joyful anticipation, knowing that Jesus is coming again, In verse 13, Paul says, It's a blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He will return to our broken world in all his glory. John says in Revelation 1-7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. What is your hope in life that you can anticipate, not just wishfully, but with the sure knowledge that it will happen? The old answer used to be death and taxes, but our new hope is Jesus. Jesus is coming again. It has happened once. It will happen again. He is coming for those who have trusted in him to bring us to a new, a perfect home. We are in a time of waiting right now. With the coronavirus, everything is unknown. What a great time to think of that sure hope that God's grace and glory will be seen again. We know we have something wonderful to look forward to. Other things in our future may be unknowns. But in the end, Jesus will come again. 
How wonderful if our hearts and minds could be focused on that goal, even as we allow God's grace to train us to be people who reflect Him in emergency times like this. One of the um, aspects of the Anglican service that I love comes just before communion. The congregation says together, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. He meets us in the past. He is in the present. And he will meet us in the future. In the meantime, unlike the false teachers of verse 17, who were unfit for any good work, we can be his possession. People who have a passion and enthusiasm for good works that honor our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In conclusion, Let me read verses 11 through 14 from the New English Bible. For the grace of God has dawned upon the world with healing for all mankind, and by it we are disciplined to renounce godless ways and worldly desires and to live a life of discipline, honesty, and godliness in the present age looking forward to the happy fulfillment of our hope when the splendor of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will appear. It is He who sacrificed Himself for us to set us free from all wickedness and to make us a pure people, marked out for His own, eager to do good. Let's just close in prayer. Father, thank you that you have um, given us, you have given us your grace in Jesus. We thank you for that. And we thank you that that is exactly what changes us. Being uh, enamored with, being uh, deeply touched and moved by your love in giving us Jesus. So thank you for your word. Thank you for the life it brings to us. Help us to trust you more and more each day.